This has been a recruiting pitch since World War I. Join the Navy and see the world. But that has nothing to do with Cesar. For Cesar, join the Navy and flee the world would be more like it. That's why Cesar is practically breaking down the door at the Navy recruiting office. He's frantic to flee his world. He doesn't care where they send him as long as he doesn't have to stay here. His very life depends on it. Look, man, he tells the recruiter, I got some people after me and I need to get gone, like now or I'm going to be gone on the reel, you know. As he stood there in the recruiting office waiting nervously, he could hear a radio playing softly. The sound of the Rolling Stones' satisfaction. Cesar really hated that song. You can't get no satisfaction. Welcome to my world, white boy. Living the street life as he's been doing, the only dreams you can have are bad ones, and Cesar will have his share. Interestingly, at this very time, the Navy's about to roll out a new recruitment campaign that reads, 1919, join the Navy and see the world. 1972, join the Navy and find your place in the world. Ironically, Cesar is heading out he knows not where. Even though he won't be able to leave the world behind, he will find a way to some dreams for the future that may just include a measure of more than surface satisfaction. Andre Carter is a retired Navy veteran, writer, and freelance editor living in Portland, Oregon. He holds an MA in fiction writing and an MFA in creative writing from the Maslow Family Graduate Program in Creative Writing at Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre, where he was a Beverly Blakesley Hiscox scholar. He calls Wilkes-Barre his second home. He is the author of the novel Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea, a Kaylee Jones book recently issued by Akashic Press. We had a chance to speak by phone with Andre Carter about his new novel and the rich storytelling in his family. Actually, my grandfather was a pastor, so certainly in the church, he was one of those folks that used his mistakes as a teaching point in the church. So he would often make these humorous stories about his mistakes and what he did to alleviate or fix what, what was happening. So I grew up listening to his stories. Uh, my mother, certainly, she was from Mississippi, and she was certainly a lovely uh, storyteller, and she was also a voracious reader. I mean, she read every day different kinds of genre, but she she found a place where she, she could buy paper novels that, you know, they used to tear the cover off, sell them for 15 cents, and that kind of stuff. And I learned to read her bringing home comic books, and she bought at this place. So... We, we have a number of storytellers on both sides of the family. Let me ask you, Andre, then, when you were in school, were you someone who was writing poems for class or little stories? Well, when I was young, you know, like my mother is, is to be believed, when I was a really young boy, I was drawing these stick people. I would just show her the, the picture. Apparently, I would give each stick person a background story. So I was trying to make up stories that young. But certainly, yeah, I was writing poems then, that sophisticated, but little stories, and I would, wouldn't write them down, but I'd share them with my friends. 
And sometimes I would, uh, you know, tell my mom about them as well. What about you and water and sea and adventures? Did you read adventure books and stories when you were growing up? I read some adventure stories. I was actually a fantasy and science fiction guy. So, you know, certainly there's a lot of adventure in those types of books. The ocean, once I got into the Navy and saw the ocean, because I'm from Ohio, so we, we have the Great Lakes, but that's about it. Yeah, I did fall in love with the ocean, and certainly once you get out on the ocean, you can experience things that you don't experience on dry land. So I do have a love affair with the ocean, but I didn't grow up with it. So, you know, I had the Ohio River, but that was it. I was touched just in this regard by your description of the signalman when Cesar's Mm -hmm. trying to sign up, and the signalman talks about why he loves his job. And there was a certain yeah. wistfulness there about that direct contact and when you don't have your radar and you have to do it by hand. It just seemed to me that you were showing a fondness for that whole way of being in relation to the sea and boats. Yeah, yeah. I actually was kind of envious of the seamen when I was in the Navy because, yeah, I mean, they spent all that time outside and it's, it's a lot of fun. They, they tell you that it is. You write plays and poems, so you're very sensitive, mm-hmm. and I think that there's an internal rhythm and an overall rhythm to your novel as well. And I always think about the rhythm of the sea, and you were probably on yeah. big boats. Maybe you didn't rock in the boats, but isn't that sort of a part of the experience of the ocean, just that fundamental ground base of the rhythm of the sea? Yes, I mean, the rhythm really does come into it. I've been on small ships, big ships. And, yeah, it literally rocks you to sleep at night. And you develop a, you develop how to get around on this big piece of metal that's floating in the ocean. I mean, uh, there's a way to walk and everything. Uh, and I did have the opportunity to be the boat officer in our OTC. I was a boat training officer, and we had a 40-footer. And that was really fun. You really feel everything that's happening on the ocean. And that's probably some of the best sleep I ever had. You were in for a long time, right? Yeah, I did 30 years. Where did that take you geographically over 30 years? Where'd, where'd you go? Oh, oh, my goodness. The Azores. I was there like 18 months. Lived in Iceland for a couple of years. I lived in Spain. As far as deployments go, man, Hawaii, uh, Hong Kong, uh, the Philippines, Japan, and, of course, the Middle East. A number of countries there. So, yeah, I, you know, when they say join the Navy, see the world, I, I saw a good chunk of it. Was that on the wall of the recruiting office where Cesar goes to enlist right at the start of the story? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the recruiters, if they're a good one, they certainly talk it up. And, yeah, they have all these posters of people in uniform, and they look so happy, you know. <laughs> You know, you're grown up now, and Mm -hmm. you still have this impulse to tell stories somehow. Did you stop for a while and then start again? I actually did not stop. I'd been working on it like every week or so because I was really focused on doing all of these two things that I was learning. But there were times when I would uh, binge write. I might not have written anything in a year, and then the next three weeks I'll just spit stuff out. But as I got older, yeah, I started finding time to uh, write. But I've always been in some form of writing, some form of 
communication. Because when I went to the Navy, I went into naval communications. So my job was to write these formatted, more technical kind of uh, messages for people. And it just went off from there. But yeah, I kind of wrote the entire time. And then in 2004 is when I really decided that I'm the writer. (laughs) I had written a number of things by then that that had some things published by then. And I said, yeah, you know, why not? I I can do this. But you kind of had to say it to yourself, huh? Exactly, exactly. Because I, I guess I didn't really believe it. You know, other people would tell me that things they read, they thought it was good. But, uh, yeah, it, it really required me to recognize it in myself. When we have a discipline or we have a formal structure, sometimes we do better at keeping up the commitment we've made to be a writer. Is that something that drew you to the Wilkes Creative Writing Program? No, that, that is exactly true. Uh, when the, I made that decision, I didn't pursue getting into a program at that time because of uh, family obligations and I needed to pay my bills. So I, I was actually accepted into Antioch. I was on their waiting list and then they called and said, hey, uh, we have a spot for you. But I had just retired and I opted to go get a job. But that desire never went away. And about 2016, I said, yeah, you know, even though I'm still working, I want to find a low residency program that emphasized a writing community because that's what I wanted to do, get it to a community that I could talk to other writers. And I started surfing the web because there was only one such program in Oregon. But I found Wilkes and just just a write-up, that was the place I wanted to be. And when I got to the first residency and met people, that's when I met Kaylee and the other staff folks and then the writing cohorts. And, you know, it was serendipity. It, It turned out to be what I needed. Did you focus on novel writing? I know you do other kinds of writing. How did you navigate that part? Well, I focused on novel writing simply because I hadn't done it before and writing a cohesive novel. I always found that to be pretty intimidating. And I also uh, studied writing screenplays there. Let's just start then. On page two, you already talk about the protagonist, Cesar, and the decision that he has made that he wants to join the Navy to maybe not for the most noble reasons. And you tell us that the Mm -hmm. title is related to making choices. Tell us about that. Yeah, the title was Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. And I chose that because it's a nautical term for a conundrum. You're faced with a number of decisions and none of them are good. And that's what he found himself in, that situation. So the choice he made was the Navy. And the antagonist as well had choices to make. And his choices, of course, were positive. What's interesting about Cesar is his conscience, I think, and the way you help us come to understand that about him. He has trouble sleeping. He has dreams. He's wrestling most definitely with something deep, maybe matters of the soul almost. He has a conscience, and it's troubled, right? He does, yeah. You know, he tried to really be hard, but when that scene occurred for him as a character, that's when he realized that, yeah, no, I have a limit, you know. I'm not going to be able to be this outlaw. I need to find some other way to make it through life. 
Cesar enlists, and he's desperate to escape street life that's filled with violence and the torture that we've just alluded to. Yet little does he know that he'll eventually be haunted by his past. You know, it's like uh, I do mention it in the book. The Navy, in fact, the military, is a reflection of society. So if you think you're going to get away from your problems by going into the military, you're mistaken because your problems are going to be in the military as well. Some good things are, too, being from the neighborhood and being, having this gangster background, he didn't read papers or watch news or anything. So while he was streetwise, he didn't know anything about the real world, actually. So part of the story is him learning about the real world and the types of people that are peppered through finding out, and, you know, expanding your mind and traveling. So that, I wanted to make sure that that was highlighted. I wanted to ask you about the conscience. We know we're formed by so many things in our lives, but you take time to describe his mother and that's very important for his character formation, who his mother was. Yeah. Well, uh, especially for for many, most men, I'd say, their relationships with their mother really form who they are. And that was certainly the case for him. Uh, in fact, his brother had just passed away. And he actually started this outlaw thing because he was looking for a father figure. And unfortunately, the father figure he found was a, uh, a gangster. But when he discovered that he couldn't really follow this guy because this guy was a monster, he became open to other things. And certainly when he went in the Navy, he met some other father figures that uh, influenced him. We don't want to give away things, but what's intriguing is the various levels at which you tell this story. You have his mm -hmm. personal story, so Cesar and mm -hmm. his personal history. You have world mm -hmm. history because he's entering the Navy at the time when the United States is involved in the Vietnam War. So that's world history. But there's also the social history of the United States and the social history in terms of the civil rights struggles and the segregation and the riot, actually, that took place that is a key event in American history that we probably don't know about. Yes, uh, I'm sure most folks don't remember it. It was on the news for a while there, but 2022 is actually the 50th anniversary of that event. So, yeah, I definitely wanted to inform people about it. And this is also the year that it's going to be destroyed. It was sold. It's going to be made into scrap, which is kind of sad. The USS Kitty Hawk? Yeah, yeah. This is something that uh, I think should be taught in school. But you're not telling the story just to let us know there was a race riot on the Kitty Hawk. No. No, that's definitely not what the book is about. The book is about this character's journey, and he just, he's in the Navy, and he ends up on the Kitty Hawk. And my goal here, the first goal, actually, is to tell a good story. Because I start with the character and the situation, and it builds from there, and just, just whatever serves the story. It's like these documents that uh, I mentioned in the book, they're actually real documents. And so people who, who read deeply and was, oh, what is that about? You know, if, if they go and research it, they can actually find these things that read what they say. So it's a combination of what I think is a good story, but it's peppered by things that were actually going on in the early 70s. 
And you also have said that there are some parallels when you were starting to write the story that you could see between the 70s and today, sort of, there are some echoes. Yeah, well, when I decided to set it in the early 70s, and then I looked at what was going on around me in 2016, and yeah, I noticed that there were some parallels. Of course, we had the civil rights and the black power movement going on in the early 70s. We had Black Lives Matter going on in our time. Uh, There was a feminist movement in the 60s and the uh, Me Too movement. Now there was an unpopular president in the early 70s, Nixon. And, of course, we had an unpopular president coming in who was Trump. And there were a number of other ones as well. That's sharp. We really haven't made much advancement. And uh, I think that's probably one of the duties of fiction (laughs) in my mind is to be about something, you know. When we go through this novel, you have a really good ear for dialogue, and Mm -hmm. each of the characters has a distinctive way of speaking. Mm -hmm. Do you think just in general you have a good ear? We listen when people speak, and you can pick up the distinctions and so forth? Yeah, actually, I think most writers are are listeners. You know, in 30 years, I've met a lot of characters in the Navy, and a large volume of people that you meet as well. When you go somewhere, you're probably only going to be there for two years, but the people around you are on a different schedule. So you might really click with this one person, and then they're gone in three months, and somebody else is there, and you learn how those people think and how they talk. So, yeah, I've always listened to conversations, and after I had retired and I was working downtown, I would take public transit. And you hear all kinds of different stories there as well. And if I heard something really good, I'd write it down. You know? So I do listen to people, and uh, I, I try to put that in the book, who they are, where they're from, that kind of stuff, and have them speak in that voice. And the language is rugged because we're talking about mm-hmm. street life and the military, right? Yeah, and, and the ages of most of the characters is, you know, from high school to one or two years of college. But all these folks are coming into the military. And, yeah, the language was, <laughs> I think it's, it's pretty accurate for people that young. And you have the Navy to that. And in boot camp in the Navy, you're using the F word every other sentence, you know. And you go home after book, but your mother would certainly look at you and uh, raise an eyebrow at the very least. There are different kinds of violence in this book. Yeah. There's active violence, and there's the often less obvious or more subtle violence of racism and all the ways that manifests. We have the, mm-hmm. the street violence. We have the violence of war. We have the rioting violence. What do you think about us as humans and the way we conduct ourselves? Cesar uses the word salvation, that the act of violence, that awful, gruesome scene that we don't want to spoil, that actually Mm -hmm. that, in a way, was his salvation. So is there some redeeming feature to all of this as we live as humans together? Uh, Well, obviously, there's different kinds of people. And I wanted to point out that even though the antagonist, Mr. Mike, is a monster, there was a reason for it. It wasn't a good reason, but there was there was a reason for it. So as as human beings, we're all you know impacted by our experiences, and we all do. It doesn't appear that some of our leaders are deep thinkers, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to to show that people are impacted by their experiences, 
And if you have good experiences, you probably get them to turn out to be a good person, but really it, we learn from our bad experiences the most, I think. So I wanted to try and show that as well. Ah, uh, didn't you tell us that your grandpa used to preach about learning more from his mistakes? In any case, Cesar is making his way. He's taking that journey. Mm-hmm. That, And I was thinking also about the journey of the hero, which is in our yes. mythology. But it's sort of like that with him. He goes through trials and is trying to get home, not literally home. Well, yeah, even though that I wasn't consciously doing that, I have read, certainly read a lot about the hero's journey. And it's classic. I mean, and the way he acts and the way he conducts himself is certainly heroic. You know, and he wasn't intending that. Uh, he's just trying to live, <laughs> you know. But uh, I guess the kind of lessons that he learned from his mother, uh, even though he didn't realize it at the time, but that shaped him. And he couldn't help but try to be better. Andre Carter, retired Navy veteran, writer, and freelance editor living in Portland, Oregon. He holds an MA in fiction writing and an MFA in creative writing from the Maslow Family Graduate Program in Creative Writing at Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre. And he is the author of the novel we've been discussing, Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea, a Kaylee Jones book recently issued by Akashic Press. The June residency of the Maslow Family Graduate Program in Creative Writing is underway on campus in Wilkes-Barre, and we're invited to take part, and that will run now through Thursday, June 23rd in the evening. The events are held on the Fenner Quadrangle, and the events are free, and there is a range of offerings. For more information on the web, wilkes.edu slash cw wilkes.edu slash cw that's the second annual lit fest at wilkes university in wilkes barry through june 23rd this thursday and for more information about between the devil and the deep blue sea you can check kayleejonesbooks.com and kaylee is k-a-y-l-i-e k-a-y-l-i-e kayleejonesbooks.com Calm.